0: Hey everyone, Mike here. We just wanted to take a quick second before we get going to ask anyone who's enjoying the show to head on over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Ratings and reviews are incredibly useful for podcasters who are trying to grow and also get better. Thank you guys so much for listening every week. And here we go. This is Pop Psych 101.
1: Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here as always. You know, everybody, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, but for some reason my co-host can't stop crying. So, so, Mike, advocate Mike, can, can you pull it together for us before we start the show? But they lo- they love their dad so much. I know, I know, man. It's, it's, a, it's a really touching, emotional show that we're going to talk about today, and you're still recovering I watched it. it. I watched it two days ago. And it's I'm st- still, still... I'm okay. still crying. <laughs> all right. Well, well... Okay,
0: I'm pulling it together. Okay. Sorry.
1: It's all right. <sighs>
0: this show,
1: man. Well, as, if you couldn't already tell from that brief hinting description, we're talking about This Is Us. The saddest show on the history of the world. Well, you know, is it? I guess parts sad, of it are sad. Yeah, it's like... Joyously it's, sad. Yeah, it's trying to connect with people. So we're going to talk about all of that stuff. But Mike, before we do, as as is usual with us at this point, I got some other stuff I want to talk about first. All right, all right. I'm excited. I'm reading a book. Of um, course, as usual. Well, it's honestly... I. I I've never read more than uh, since my daughter has started to fall in love with the library. Uh-oh. So, no, it's a great it's a great thing, Mike. Uh, did you know that the library is free and you can just take, take books out? This is
0: one of those things where I'm like, I don't know what to do with the kids sometimes. And my wife, first thing always says is, you know, the library has like things and classes and yeah. all
1: sorts of awesome stuff. Yeah, they really do. And well, have, I hate reading. They have games and puzzles. Mike, they have graphic novels. They have movies. Oh man. They have all the things. So anyway, so my my wonderful daughter has gotten into the habit of we'll spend if we're if we're at the library for an hour, we'll spend 50 minutes playing and, and looking at her books. And then literally, as we're about to check out, she's like, you know, Dada, do you want to pick something out? And I'm just like, oh. It breaks my heart and it makes me so happy at the same time because it's like, yes, yes, empathetic <laughs> child. I would love to pick out something for myself. Yes. Um, so now I've gotten in the habit of like making sure I get something from the library every time we go. And we go at least, I would say, once every two or three weeks or so. So Gotcha. So I am reading a book called How Luck Happens, Using, okay. the, using the Science of Luck to Transform Work, Love, and Life the science the science of luck yes okay so two, um well the the author and a i should say like a humanities type scientist or researcher the two authors are barnaby marsh and janice kaplan and i love barnaby he's one of my go-tos well so mike they created a luck lab (laughs) and oh my god as luck would have it the luck lab is in princeton new jersey Oh my gosh! So I, I've been tearing through this book because I'm fascinated because all the references are like things around. Because You're going to go to the luck lab in my office. I mean, if if it's still around, this book is. Uh, I want to say like a couple. Well, years. Well, the guy's
0: name is Barnaby. I'm going to guess about.
1: This is 1901. No, no, it's 2018, <laughs> okay. last year. So it's fascinating. So, so this reason I wanted to bring this up because I do think how people think about luck. Whether they have bad luck or good luck, or they believe in luck at all, actually does have an impact on their sort of mental health, their outlook on life, okay. their outlook on themselves. So, uh, as our resident advocate and person uh, who has been open about their struggles, but is this something that you think about? Do you think about luck? Yeah. So, no. and, and so, let me change the the sort of how we're framing this. How do you explain the things that happen to you? Do are they? I because... mean, it's not. I don't believe in destiny.
0: I okay, don't believe. So that's in, right. That's what I'm asking. I guess yeah. I would say more. I'm more of a happenstance kind of thinker. I, I mean, I I get the term luck. Yeah. So I, I in a sense I believe in luck because the, luck is a thing. Things happen in a lucky way, but I don't think that it's like a predetermined or destined thing. It, it's literally just luck or happenstance.
1: Okay. So so you're sort of suggesting that you control your own destiny. You uh, sort of are autonomous. You are not sort of impacted by external forces. To an a, extent. To an extent. Okay. So the, the reason I say that is that there's this um, this sort of concept in, um, I guess we would call it personality psychology, called locus of control. And this is the degree to which you feel, so the, an internal locus of control would be like what I just said, like I control my destiny. Things that happen are because I work hard. Or, or the reverse, like, bad things that happen are because I am a failure, or because I didn't do enough. You know, so right. everything good or bad that happens to me is because of me, to some degree. Versus, versus the external locus of control, which is like, um, if something bad happens to me, it's just like, well... Bad luck, man. You know, I don't. I, I don't know what happened. Or see, it's. I see where you're going. Yeah. Or or if it's good luck, it's or, like oh, I had good luck. Right. Or external. You know, locus of control could be like everything happens for a reason, and that's no. the way I explain the circumstances in my life.
0: So I would say, if I was going to put any stock in any of this, I. I'm right in the middle of Okay. If I work hard, I put myself in a position to be lucky. Okay. So to that's... meet the right person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so luck still exists in that that arena there. Or if I don't work hard, um, I guess I might experience bad luck. But even if I work hard, I might experience what I would call bad luck. I just didn't, you know, I might be really good at something and and you know me, I'm I always pursue creative things and I'm always trying to get hired to you know, shoot videos or whatever. And it's like, if I get a job, I always, it was lucky that I got it, you know, because Mm. there's a ton of people doing it. Sure. So, so I get that.
1: Yeah. So so that's sort of what this book talks about is yes, luck and chance are, are true to a certain degree, but we actually have a pretty sizable impact on our ability to influence those odds, if we put it that way. So whether it's like things like networking, things like, putting ourselves in a position where good things are likely to happen, you know, opening up ourselves to opportunity. There are things that do, let's say, uh, raise the odds in your favor.
0: Right. Because you're not going to you're not going to get lucky if you're not there at the time and place.
1: Right. And I think the inverse of this, when we talk about like depression and, you know, even like things like hopelessness, is that you get people get to a point where they feel like it doesn't matter what they do nothing good is going to happen to them hmm. um, or for them or like, and that's, that's a very hopeless place, but that's why a lot of that work that I, I do with people who are in that state, you you have to give yourself the opportunity to experience the possibility of good things happening again, even if good yeah. things have not happened for you in a while.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, when you're, when you're down and you're depressed, like I, I can see exactly what you're saying, because like I've experienced thinking I'm never going to feel better. Right. You know, no matter what I do. But when you get into, like I was just talking about last week, how I was in the hospital program for a couple of weeks there, I put myself in the place. Of course. To find opportunity to get out of whatever hole you might be in at the time or whatnot. Had I not done that step, then I wouldn't have experienced some of the things you could consider lucky that I heard something on a certain day that really impacted me. Um, they connected me with a new therapist who is just amazing, like best therapist I've ever talked to in my life. He's kind of, he's
1: kind of weird, but (laughs) he's really (laughs) good. All of us are a little weird. That's fine. So
0: I feel lucky that I I met this new therapist and it's all because I put myself in that position. Um, but, but even so, when I put myself in that position, I was thinking I'll never feel better
1: again. Hmm. Well, there you go, people. So so it's a fascinating book. I think if this is a topic that you're interested in, or if you sort of want to um, play around with how you view good or bad things happen to you, that, that this is definitely a good resource for that. So check that out if you're interested. And yeah, that has no connection to our episode today, which I just thought it was interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's do get into the episode. But before we do that, um, I just want to remind everyone that we have a a mental health chat group on facebook for anyone that wants to come and talk about these kind of things uh we run the gamut of things just like this from luck to depression anxiety people talk about stuff lots of fun memes things like that and you would just go to facebook.com and then you would search pop psych 101 mental health chat at that let's get into it let's do it
2: you two don't like this thing you have in common and i get that it's scary but it also made three of my most favorite people in the world who they are. William would also get anxious about things. He was sensitive and artistic and caring, but there's a fine line between caring and worrying and sometimes that line gets blurry. From the moment I met Your father, he was obsessed with making everything okay for everybody else. And that took some getting used to, but I loved him for it. So many cared deeply. Now there's some things you get from your dad that you're gonna have to navigate around, but there are some gifts too. You give everything your all. You're an amazing sister and daughter and friend and student. Now look, we're gonna get whatever this is under control, okay, believe that. But I will not have you talking ill about three of my most favorite people in the world, no way, no how. Are you hearing me? And if it ever gets to be too much, take a minute and wait for the bubbles to settle
0: okay. according to wikipedia the average human being shares his or her birthday with roughly 18 million other human beings in the world This is obviously not an exact figure nor science and assumes there is equal probability of the average person being born on any day of the year, not counting February the 29th. There is no evidence that sharing the same birthday creates any type of personality or behavioral link between the 18 million people who share the same date of birth. If there is, Wikipedia hasn't discovered it yet.
1: And this is us. <laughs> it's, it's basically how they start the pilot of this whole series, right? Um, yeah. It, well, that actually, you know, off the top, that does kind of get into luck a little bit. We we totally ha- we happened into that that intro, but what a happenstance! But man, what is just just so funny how that happens.
0: Well, and it also kind of describes some of the the behavioral link and everything.
1: Yes, for and, sure. And does
0: kind of the themes we see in what we're doing today. We are nailing um, this we are all right (laughs) so (laughs) what are we doing today
1: so okay so this is us is a huge sprawling multi-generational story we could not possibly cover all of the good and bad and terrible things that happen in it we picked one semi-recent episode it's a current season current season um it's like it was in october so now we're in december so it's like I don't know, two months ago at this stage, called Storybook Love is the name of the episode. Yes. And we'll do a little bit of plot. But the reason that I wanted to do this show in general is that it, at this stage in the show is known as a show that does address mental health issues. And this is a particular episode where um, it comes up in a family context. So I really wanted to talk about that because it is the holiday season, uh, we are around family and family stuffs going on, so I thought, what a better time to delve into a intensely uh, family-focused show like this one. And and you know, we spoke we spoke about our our Facebook group. People have also, if not outright, requested the, this is us. They've been they've talked about it from time to time. So yeah,
0: well, there's just so much here. Yes, and even inside of one episode, it, it it's kind of neat how much it captures of all the characters and i was really impressed with their real their real take on it um and also the the actual positivity they put behind even some of the negative feelings we experience so basically what we're what we're doing today we're doing the the episode and i'll give you a quick brief rundown of what the episode is obviously there's like in this show they jump all around in time and so as usual in this is us we we have all the way in early time which i would say is in the late 90s somewhere around there where th- there's just two main characters and that's rebecca and jack yep jack the dad so and uh, spoiler alert because it's not in this episode so turn this off if you don't want the biggest spoiler alert ever and you're going to start this show but in season 2 i believe
1: jack dies
0: but but it's kind of known throughout the whole show that Jack has passed yeah, away. Yeah, it's leading
1: up to this. Right. Right. Because he's so, not he's not alive with Rebecca. So we know that he's Yeah. Uh, but he's
0: yeah. in every episode. So they right. always have cuts of him and her from right. before they have kids. Yes. Um, and then they end up having twins, uh, but at the same day also adopting a third child. And that's yes. so they have Kevin mm-hmm. and Kate, who are the twins. And then they have Randall, who is the adopted child that they met the same day they had their two children. So then we have, uh, like I said, the early stuff. Then we have a lot of the stuff when the kids are like kids or teenagers. And then there's a lot of present day stuff. So we switch back and forth. In this particular episode, um, we feature all the characters, Kevin, Randall, Kate, Rebecca, Jack. And um, we do get some side characters on Kevin's side and on Randall's side as well, um, Randall's family in particular. And this one, like Ryan said, we picked for the holidays because this is centered around a dinner where they're all meeting for dinner. And as we know, around the holiday time, we meet for dinner. And a lot of the issues that we see in this episode come up. So that's the breakdown. It's going to be too difficult to go normal, like where we go plot by plot. So we're just going to kind of break down what we saw in the episode and just know that all those characters are there. And everything we're talking about, it
1: happened in this episode. Yes. All right. (laughs) Great, great summary. There you go. (laughs) So the main reason I wanted to talk about this episode um, is I sort of heard through the grapevine or it came up on my Twitter or something that Randall, who we know at this point in the show, has a history of anxiety and panic attacks. It comes out that his daughter, who's in high school, had a panic attack at school and he finds out while he's at work and then he picks her up from school and comes home and they're sort of dealing with that so that is the main reason why i wanted to talk about this episode it wasn't even necessarily like the family meal holiday type stuff but i think that really ties in very well as an addition because this is really about sort of what we pass on to our kids right right holidays or not that stuff comes up
0: so I, I kind of noticed when I was watching it that this episode had a theme. What what we see is in, in the early scenes when it's just Rebecca and Jack, they're in their first house setting it up and they're having their first dinner. Um, and then in the middle scene when it's the kids are teenagers and Jack has passed, they're having their first dinner at the new house there. So they're kind of tying it together that way. Um, but the theme that you see is that Early on Jack, when he's still alive you you kind of get the understanding that he really is a problem solver and a fixer he wants to fix any problem that's you know bugging his wife because you know he's portrayed as this really you know great partner yeah yeah lover, father, that kind of person. but what we do see is is that his sort of need to help everyone gets passed down mm-hmm. um and then that also that theme which I just thought was kind of remarkable was transferred over to what you said about Randall and the fact that he seemed to have a problem with his daughter having anxiety.
1: Well, so yes, so he has a problem with it to the extent that he feels terrible guilt over the fact that he sort of thinks is thinking about it in the way of he has literally passed on this quote unquote anxiety gene to her. He says at one point uh, to his wife later on that day, You know, that he sort of always wondered ever since she was born, what she was going to get from him, his eyes, his nose. What about his personality? One thing is clear now is that she has gotten his anxiety or his panic tendencies.
0: And he specifically says right there, and it was pretty impactful, was I have all these things about me, but this is what I like the
1: least. Yes, yes. So this is a really tough thing, and so I work with um, a lot of young adults. I work in the Princeton area, so I work with the kids who are people in their late teens to mid-20s, mid-30s, between the university and other schools in the area. I do also get um, people who are, let's say, newlyweds or having kids for the first time, and I can't tell you how often this comes up where... They're addressing their mental health needs for the first time, whether it be anxiety, depression, trauma, perfectionistic or or, or obsessive compulsive tendencies. And this fear of, you know, what if my son or daughter has this, too? Like, what do I what do I do with that? Like, I'm not even in a place where I'm dealing with it successfully. How do I help them? And it's such a common fear.
0: Yeah. And I was going to ask you, that was one of my questions today was, like, how often do you see people like if you had to guess a percentage of patients that come in and they express this like their own anxiousness and how they don't want to pass this on or whatever like is this like a pretty common thing for people to think about
1: yeah i mean it, between fear of it passing on and fear of it impacting them in general so like you know if if i have a patient who's experiencing anxiety uh, whether they're worried about their son or daughter also experiencing anxiety, or just their anxiety um, impacting them in a different way. Like, if they see their parent having a panic attack, are they then going to be worried about their parent all the time? And then sort of uh, their own anxiety issues start to, to break out from there. So there is this, you know, I would say for parents, it's probably like 80-90% of some underlying fear of, or concern of mm. not wanting their stuff to impact their kids.
0: And it's, it's crazy for me to think about because, Ryan, you know that this is a fear of mine. I do. Uh, being a person with bipolar disorder, you you don't want that for your kids. And sometimes I think it wasn't fair that I had kids to them. Mm. Um, That if they wind up having the same problems that I have, I've just made somebody have a, not the best time. And it's just not fair for them because they don't choose to be here. And I've chosen to have them. And now, if in the future, if they if they have the problems, even half of what I've had, I'm going to feel terrible. Yeah. So thinking about that, like when someone if someone said just what I said to you in a session, like, what would you say Mm -hmm. to them? Because I I think I'm learning how to deal with it now. Sure. And how to understand that I can't predict that. I can't, I I can't blame myself. Yeah. And, you know, just because I have mental health issues, does not mean that I shouldn't have had kids? These things I'm learning to process. Like, what would you say to a patient to, I don't know, help them realize that? Or even if those were the things you wanted them to realize?
1: Yeah. So it's tough because, you know, as a therapist, part of it is like, well, I just want this person to feel better about the situation versus okay how are we going to work on this issue of you know essentially guilt right yeah and and a lot of times you know i'll i'll sort of put it to my patients this way is that okay you feel guilty how is your guilt helping you in your relationship with your children is your guilt putting a wedge between you and them in the sense that you don't want to acknowledge this reality or talk to them about it Um, Or is your guilt making you want to engage with them, educate them, almost like give them the insight you didn't have as a child with some of these struggles? Because if that's the case, if the guilt can spur you on to develop a relationship with them and and help them have a relationship with their mental health that is far beyond what you had 20, 30 years ago, they actually are in in a position of advantage. Over, I would say, most kids Hmm. uh, in the sense that they are going to have an emotional intelligence and emotional awareness that, yes, even if they have bipolar anxiety passed on to them, they are going to have the awareness of what that means, of the things that help, of the things that don't help. What's what's normal with it? Far earlier, absolutely. Far, far, far earlier than, obviously, you would have had But also, as most kids would have, I mean, we've talked about on the show, like, I would say the average um, sort of delay on when issues arise versus when issues are treated for teenagers is like three to five years. It's like, oh, yeah, I started probably being depressed when I was like 13, but now I'm 18 and now I'm finally getting help. It's like, okay, but, you know, for children of people who have been in therapy, that delay is... It's not cut in half, like reduced to nothing, because mm-hmm. you are in therapy, or at least have been, um, and you know the obvious benefits of it, so I mean, I'm just assuming here, but as if, for, for any reason, any of your kids sowed the sort of smallest sign of, you know, some of these symptoms, you wouldn't even give it a second thought, it would be, okay, let's get them in therapy, or okay, let's make sure they have support, or let's yes. make sure they're talking to their school counselor, it would be immediate
0: Oh no, it'd be right away. I would, right. I would see it. You know of what course. I mean? You I would recognize I would, it
1: before they would.
0: I'd be like, okay, so Ben is yep. acting like I did at that age. Yeah, that's right. And we need to take care of this right away. And just as you were saying that I was reminded of a time and I can't remember if this was private between us or if we were recording, Okay, but, but you did, I mentioned this concern to you, you know, as usual, you always seem to say the right thing at the right time, which is why you do what you do. But, uh, you said something just like what you are saying. And that was like, you know, we'll think of the advantages, Yeah, you know, yeah. and then that was one of the things that, that kind of got me thinking about how, you know, my kid is going to be, um, ahead of other kids in that area mm-hmm. and, and how that's actually a good thing. And we've even talked about it on shows recently, like on the Gary Goldman episode about how much I wish he had had more information when he oh, was yeah. younger. Yeah. And, and we agreed on how much that would have benefited his life and maybe had less of a struggle than he's dealt with. And so like just you saying that now is like a little bit relief.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And, and so the other side of this to deal with the sort of more longstanding issue, as I talked about the, the not sort of let's just feel better about this, but let's deal with the the stuff, right. Is that it's not just guilt. Because guilt is like I spilled milk and I feel bad that I spilled the milk, so I'm gonna clean it up or make it better or you know get a sturdier cup or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But but the guilt only addresses that sort of short term thing. The problem is that it's not often just guilt; that it's actually shame. Yes, it's, it's, it's shame. actually this this exactly more long standing toxic thing of because I have this thing, I am broken, or less than, or weak, or whatever. And this actually relates strongly back to the episode where we see Randall's wife go to Randall's father.
0: Yes, and that's literally what I was gonna ask you. Yeah, and and yeah.
1: and he doesn't have any of the words to describe what he had as a kid. You know, he didn't even know it was like anxiety. I don't remember exactly how he described it in the episode. He, he said that he had anxiety and yep. panic
0: attacks, just like Randall did, and this we we find out about this right after we hear Randall's concerns, yeah, of passing it on down genetically. Uh, part of Randall's issue is that um, he is not genetically related to his family, so he always he was excited to see what genetic traits he would pass on, and so now he's worried that this is the trait he's being passed on. Well, then we see a a clip in time to a different time when his dad was still alive and his wife's talking and his dad admits that he had anxiety, although they didn't have words for it back then. In fact, they just called him fragile and sensitive. Yeah. And I was like, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. So, right. So here we have it. Right. Where, yes, this is a longstanding issue in this family. Um, And we can see the progression of, you know, his grandfather. I'm sorry. His father probably had no treatment. No awareness of what it was. And in fact, he was probably, like, made fun of. And, you know, you're sensitive or whatever. These, these yeah. ways that people thought of it then. And then we have Randall, who has a little bit more awareness. You know, we see he, like, obsessively works out and, like, does some things to sort of try to take care of himself. But he also kind of resists therapy. But yeah. he, knows, he knows it's a problem. And then we have uh, Randall's daughter, Tess, who is experiencing these issues in some ways for the first time, but is going to have even more awareness because she's, I think she's 14, and is going to therapy at 14. Yeah. And we can say, oh, that's terrible, like, you know, be in therapy at that age. But that, as we're talking about, like, think about that generational advantage and the difference that it would have made for Randall's father and that it probably would have made for Randall.
0: Well, think about it like if someone ever is questioning the benefits of someone getting in young, and I yeah. and I don't know if you agree with this, but like think about it as if like you know learning a language. Sure, absolutely. when you're young is so much easier. Your mind is open to learning and using things uh, fluently when you're young, as opposed to when you're older. And so she's got anxiety, had a panic attack. We get her into therapy, and the lessons that they're going to teach her are going to stick. I think probably faster, maybe longer. I, it's just beneficial. Yeah, no question. But but I was wondering the so the wife after she meets with the father, he tells her a story about how because they didn't have any treatment for it at the time, yeah. but his mom loved him and would explain it to him that his brain was like a uh, glass of soda. It was just waiting for the the fizz to settle down. So the mom towards the end of the episode approaches the daughter. And Randall, mm-hmm. who seems kind of flabbergasted that she's including him in this conversation. Yeah. Kind of does a demonstration with the soda on the counter. I was wondering Alka-Seltzer. what Alka
1: Seltzer. Yeah, yeah. Was it Alka Seltzer? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I was wondering what your thoughts of how the mom approached this towards the end of the episode of doing like the example and like setting and then saying we gotta get you both into therapy. Like what you mm-hmm. thought there. I
1: loved it. I mean, you know, I think it's it's a very tidy like way to wrap up this problem like the fact that all this stuff maybe happened Mm -hmm. in the span of a day or two days or whatever is like oh yeah that's that's what happens on tv
0: but oh yeah the fact that uh randall resists her idea of therapy yes he does shows that the writers are thinking about the fact that this is a life yeah this is not this is not
1: a tidy wrap up yeah this is not solved right now yeah that's true yeah but but to 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 answer the question like I think what the wife does is uh more or less perfect i mean she she validates everyone's uh concerns everyone's anxiety about the situation she provides space for them all to have their emotional reactions, but also to a to a certain degree like holds them accountable for taking care of themselves holds them accountable for you know uh recognizing and this is like a pretty good what we call like a mindfulness exercise of just watch the bubbles fade away. Um, only pay attention to the Alka Seltzer dissolving. And, and as it settles, you settle in that sense. It's great. Um, I love it. I hope the daughter kind of takes that thing to to heart. And obviously she's going to be going into therapy and probably learn a lot of stuff like that. So I thought she, she kind of nailed it.
0: Well, yeah. And in that moment, she kind of comes forward and explains the the source of her anxiety. Yeah. And and that's the fact that she's kind of coming down to where she's real, she's a lesbian and she realizes that she has to come out because people are starting to ask questions about her interest in boys. Before that she was pretty locked up. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was like it helped her open up and now she's going to be able to go I don't know get advice but go learn how to deal with it a little better. Yeah. Yeah, and a safe environment. It was but, excellent. Yeah. And I cried. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I really did. Uh this show is so moving. And just throughout the whole thing, it 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 feels like they're just shoving nostalgia down your throat
1: constantly. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So I it's one of those shows that because you hear like, oh my God, it's so sad, or I cry every time I watch it. I've always felt to me like I'm not going to like this show. Like, this is good. This is going to be manipulative. Like, it's just a manipuli... Uh, manipuli. It's like an emotionally manipulative show. I like manipulate much better. <laughs> it's manipulate. Um, <laughs> another <and, laughs> another coin term. <laughs> there you go. It's so... I had expectations going in of, oh, this is just going to be, like, really sappy. But I got to say, they really set up a plot to illustrate what it's like to be in a family where these issues are long standing this is not like a one of anxiety panic attack thing mm-hmm. that's just like oh like that's yeah, that's weird, Randall's, weird day yeah
0: Randall's panic attack was in the first season correct yes. his first his first experience with it and now yes. they're bringing it back in the fourth season mm-hmm. as a, an issue in his family
1: yeah which is kind of uh, neat yeah well that's that's as you said it's great because they're not like treating it as just this sort of um, trope. You know, we talk all the time about tropes or like plot devices and his mental health issues are not a plot device. They are a real thing that he deals with. And through the flashbacks, we even see Randall as a kid having some of these anxiety issues, like he has to keep lists and his legs always shaking. So these have been issues that he's struggled with more or less his whole life.
0: So, yeah. So I was also wondering, so we do have the main part of the episode is the dinner that they're having yep and this is the first dinner they're having the year after at a new house the mm-hmm. year after the dad passes away yes uh, i believe he passed away
1: in a fire do you know so i so and and sorry i apologize oh, i'm gonna to cut this. This. no so <laughs> there was a fire he almost died but then didn't die but then died shortly thereafter um, okay, I'm gonna, see, i That's I stopped else. watching in the first season because I cried too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I can't cry every week during this show. Okay, so before before we jump into this next part that I wanted to talk about, which is the dinner, um, yeah. just just the kind of the, the last thing, and this this actually does have to do with the dinner because we see at the dinner, um, they show us a bunch of examples of especially Randall and Kevin, the two sons of Jack, both have. Taken on that trait of wanting to help everybody. And they specifically talk about it with Randall, but we also see it in present day versions of Kevin out there trying to help this woman who's separated from her, uh, husbands and he's, um, helping, uh, an alcoholic or, or was he an alcoholic? There's probably an alcoholics synonymous thing happening here.
1: <laughs> Wait, you're talking about Kevin, right? Yeah, Kevin. So that's his uncle.
0: Yeah, I know that's his uncle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but, the the point is is that we see that they've they've taken this sort of trait yeah. on right yes 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 which which made the question pop up in my mind we know that mental health issues can be genetic yes like that's a that's a basically like a scientific fact right
1: yeah i mean we haven't found like the gene for it but we know enough that it um through like generational studies that it it can quote unquote run in the family more or less.
0: Right. So that's why they ask you on yeah. questionnaires like, yeah, do you have, does your family have a history of this? The mm-hmm. same way they ask you with like heart issues or whatever, yep. you know, like, does your family have depression, anxiety, and mm-hmm. you apparently can be more likely to have it. But that made me wonder because this trait that they were expressing were between two brothers, specifically Kevin, who's a biological son of Jack, but also Randall, who is not a biological son of Jack. And they both took on this anxiety that Jack had to help everybody. And I was wondering, is it, in your experience, like, it, do we also take on mental health issues that aren't necessarily genetic just because of like environmental or
1: things that we see and experience? So yeah, much in the same way that we were just talking about that you know someone with mental health issues can help their kids kind of get a leg up essentially modeling healthy ways of dealing with your mental health issues, Uh, the opposite is also true, for sure. That if, uh, let's just say, unhealthy coping methods are in place, or if unsuccessful ways of treating, let's just say, anxiety or depression are being used in the family, Um, let's just say, I'll just make up an example. Um, If your father... Yeah, responds to anxiety by getting mad, which is not an uncommon thing for, for males. It's one um, of my de- go-tos. De- right. Depression and anxiety tends to present as agitation. So, if that's the case, that modeling is going to be passed on, uh, in the sense that hmm. uh, kids who see that will make that same connection, that uh, sort of uh, the soft emotions are followed by hard emotions. Like, if I'm upset or if I'm embarrassed or if I'm anxious, I'm gonna get mad at myself or whoever is causing me to feel this way. Yeah. Or who's um, in like the
0: vicinity, you know. Yeah, nearest... for sure. Yeah.
1: So so in that sense, those negative things can be passed on as well, not not solely because of the genetic aspect, but because of the, you know, the sort of environmental, um, what's being modeled for them aspect. Sure. Yeah, unfortunately. So that's why, you know, when we think about the, the risks of things getting passed on to kids, it's what are you modeling? Are you modeling healthy ways of talking about your mental health, healthy ways of coping? Or are you modeling, you know, the sort of like, just grin down and bear it and we don't talk about anything and yeah. uh, I'm just going to pretend that this isn't happening.
0: Well, one of the scary things is, you know, we were talking about how upsetting it is to think about passing it down to your kids. Yeah. Is even though I would say I am on top of things more than most. Uh, Not that I'm always amazing. I leave therapy before I should a lot. I, I do a lot of things that are pretty common as far as, you know, not taking care of my mental health the way I really, really should. But I do do a lot. Still, though, those emotions that you're talking about, like depression, anxiety, those things, that's my go-to reaction. I I sometimes I get angry and it's like even so I'm doing the right things, but I'm there's also models of behavior that aren't the right things. And it's like what you just get concerned like which one is he going to pick up on? Cuz sometimes you feel like even though I have all this information in my head and all these lessons I've learned from different therapists and even from doing the show, like I can't control myself sometimes.
1: Yeah, so that's why, and I, I I drill my patients with this, like it's so important that even if you're struggling, that you be able to acknowledge and talk about those struggles with your kids. And you can you can use different language depending on how old they are, but if in other words, if you don't want them to pick up a bad behavior, quote unquote bad behavior, if you're getting angry or if you're getting down on yourself, things like that. Um, and you don't want your kids to pick up on that. Then being able to talk about what's happening, you know, dad just gets really mad at himself when things are not going well. But what I want you to take away from this is that when things are not going well, it's really important to to talk about it or to get help Mm -hmm. or to. So it's a little bit of like do as I say, not as I do, but but it's also what else are you going to do? Well, right. You have to give them that emotional awareness because if they're only taking away from what they see you from an action standpoint, they're gonna assume that that's what you're supposed to do or that's right. what's right. And I really do. I drill it like, hey, um, as soon as your kids know like emotion words, being able to talk about them like, well, when dad gets sad, mad, anxious, whatever words they can they can comprehend, this is what dad does sometimes. And it's not always the best thing for him to do, but this is what happens. So when you see this, this is what's happening, and this is what I'm trying to do to work on it. Because giving your kids that insight and that understanding helps them separate out what they see you doing mm-hmm. versus the awareness of, you know, what, quote unquote, should should be happening. I mean, that's not a judgment thing. It's just like, you know, and they know this isn't the best way to handle how we're feeling, but yeah. sometimes it happens anyway.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay, guys, we are gonna take a quick break and then when we get back, we're gonna talk about the dinner party. All right, and we are back. Okay, Ryan, we're gonna talk about the dinner party now, and this one, is, this is kind of the part that relates more to how some, I think, some families feel at the holidays. We're gonna use the Pearsons as an example. Now, they're going through something pretty tragic, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we necessarily need to look at this from the the full-on tragedy of what they're facing. But basically what's happened is the father has passed, and the the middle part of this episode is a dinner party when the kids are teenagers, and it's a year later, and now they're all dealing with it. The thing that I saw in this is that their family has been torn apart. Not in the sense that they don't love each other, but in the sense that they went from being close-knit to now they all feel
1: separated. There's a a fracturing. Yeah, they're all, like, headed in different directions.
0: Yeah, and so you have, like, Kevin who just got married without telling anybody, Mm -hmm. and that's, like, really upsetting. You have Kate with a boyfriend that nobody knew about that just shows up. So we have these things that are not being told from a family who previously wouldn't have been like this. And the reason that made me think about like kind of like the holidays is, as we grow older with our families, we tend to separate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: E- even close knit families, They this the glue gets less sticky. Yeah, <laughs> I'm well, terrible at metaphors, but it's it's just people seem more distant. Um, I was wondering what you saw in this scene, and then I was kind of wondering like, how do we go about during this especially difficult time of the year when we know we're going to be up close and personal with people that maybe we feel separate and distant from like mm-hmm. how do we go about handling that in the the way that's best for us
1: yeah so a lot of things come up that it's like clear that this family's not there's stuff that they're not dealing with stuff they're not talking about and so the metaphor Mike that I I would have used since I'm the metaphor guy if, between the two of us <laughs> is so like we talk about a family tree right and this 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 family especially um, would be an interesting one because they're is all this- diff- head in different directions right but you know when when a tree is growing uh there's we have the the sort of core um not stump trunk, trunk, trunk. trunk. <laughs> uh i have a i have a picture of a the metaphor stump. but i just don't have the yeah. words so we have the trunk right and then as the family grows they are literally going in different directions so this is what happens to this family and to all families where it's not necessarily that the glue is, is, um, is weakening or softening or separating. Yeah. If you had said a family horse. Right. That would have worked a lot. Well, nope. <laughs> but, uh, but that they're literally going in different directions for lots of different reasons. And sometimes those different directions are a result of one specific event, like in their case, the, the passing of the father. Or just just natural, right? Family members move away, family members get married, family members have kids. So lots of things change that cause some of this uh, different dynamic, different types of distance, right? Yeah. Um, and I think how families deal with that is crucial towards maintaining a sense of comfort and safety and and familiarity within the family dynamic. Okay. So. You know, with this family, this, uh, obviously, the passing of Jack, the dad, was a a potential breaking point, right? And in a lot of ways, it was. Yeah. But over the course of even just this episode, we see some of the things that ultimately helped them heal. It's acknowledging the sort of elephant in the room, right? It's, you know, it's Is funny. It's kind of like that scene in the kitchen. Yeah, 100%. So, okay. so you want to break down that scene? Like
0: Yeah. So basically they're they're having the dinner and yeah. they're finding out things about each other that they didn't know and they're upset about it. They end up in the kitchen right after Kate's boyfriend had just like randomly showed up and introduced himself and they didn't even know she was dating. So they get into the kitchen. Kevin turns to her and is just like, You want me to lie? I don't like him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and so they get into this argument mm-hmm. and, and it even does the thing and i thought oh this is so like thanksgiving this is so christmas dinner where they they view back out into where just the guests are mm-hmm. like the the fiance, the girlfriend and the boyfriend and then the mom's boyfriend yep uh are all just sitting there listening to the like whole family yeah yelling at each mm-hmm. other yep and so what ends up happening is the mom had gone in rebecca and she goes off on him. Yeah. And she basically doesn't have room for it right now. Mm -hmm. She's like, you are going to go out into the live or into the kitchen or the dining room. I don't know the rooms in the house. You're going to go into the dining room. You are going to eat this raw undercooked terrible meal I have made even because I didn't have the right pan to make this thing. And you're going to deal with it. And part of me went like this, like somebody that wrote this show has gone through therapy. Oh, sure, sure. You know what I mean? Like that is in my mind, like that
1: is the most courageous Mm. way to deal with that situation is what I thought. Sure. Right. Because, and, and a much more, I would say probably typical way of these sort of family conflicts happening is, you know, the sort of authority parent or grandparent coming in like everybody shut up and get back in the, back in the dining room. Because almost like, I don't not deal with this right now. Exactly. exactly. Let's not talk about this right now. We don't have time for this where you're embarrassing me in front of the guests, whatever, like that kind of stuff. And it's like, we can't deal with this versus, you know, she, I think, is very aware that the family is going through this trauma still. And it's like, OK, we have to deal with this. We have to more or less talk about this. And it's interesting that you see the mood kind of shift when they start to do, start to make these little connections, have these little memories. Um, you know, one of the things I do with clients who are dealing with grief and loss is, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a game, but it's kind of this, this forced memory recall thing where it's like, tell me a story about the person that passed away, a good story. And and it doesn't have to be good, like there can be good and bad parts of it, but it's we're, we're forcing ourselves to when we're thinking about the person, we're not only thinking about the fact that they died.
0: Yeah. Or even so, like in an even broader sense, Yeah, we're not thinking about any of the negative things that might've separated us.
1: Sure. Absolutely.
0: We're like looking at good times and hopefully strengthening the horse glue.
1: All right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And it doesn't <laughs> have to be good times. Like I think, um, Uh, Rebecca sort of tells the story about the the first um, meal that her and Jack had in the other house, right, where they she burned another meal and ended up having pizza and a bird flew in the house. Oh, yeah, I
0: cried here, too.
1: Yeah. And it's like that story and that connection is what brings the family back to a position of positive memory and positive association with even though this person is gone It doesn't change the fact that there is positives associated with him. And the reason a lot of times people get stuck in the grief process is they get stuck in the negative association with when they think about this person, the thing that they think about next is X, like the circumstances of them passing, um, how traumatic or scary or sad it was, what happened afterwards, the funeral, this and that. And it's like that. For the most part, I mean, obviously, sometimes people have, you know, years long struggles with things like cancer and stuff like that, obviously terrible circumstances. But for the most part, you're focusing on a days or weeks or months period in a person who lived 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Now, obviously, there are circumstances in which people, you know, children pass and things like that, also very traumatic. But when we focus only on the loss, only on the passing, everything else is lost. And that's not all there is ever to a person, right?
0: Right. Why do you think these issues, and not just the grief stuff, but like, why do you think specifically around the holidays, mm. do people get, I'm not going to say sensitive, that's not the word I'm looking for, but why do people feel so much more raw about this stuff around the holidays?
1: Well, let's, and that includes yeah. grief. Yeah, 100%. Well, let's think about the, the normal you know, uh, uh, holiday interactions, right? Like big meals, family traditions, all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. I don't know if your family's like this, but mine certainly is. It's like, oh, well, who's making um, Nana's pudding pie? And it's like... Oh, yeah. So it's like, oh, like, we still want to have that at Thanksgiving, but it was the thing that she made as long as any of us can remember. So now the association is like, oh, man, like... Uh, I, I guess my mom is, or I guess someone else is, or I guess I am. And it's like, I I can't, or so-and-so, I imagine it must be difficult for them to make it without thinking about the fact that she's making it and that it's not Nana.
0: Or like, um, you know, my grandfather passed away in, I think, 2004. And I remember like the Christmas after it was like, yeah, you know, that was, that's his chair. Like, there you he was go. He's going to sit in his chair. Yeah,
1: that's right. So these are the reasons why is because we have such strong associations with holiday gatherings and and traditions that memories of those people are so strongly tied to them being a part of those things. So whether it's the first time or the 20th time, there's still that reality of this person that I associate with Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever holiday is not a part of this thing anymore.
0: Would you would you recommend like so my my great grandfather then passed away a few years back now and at the christmas eve thing um he would always like do a reading like thing right sure yeah well he passed away and then we had my uncle started doing it, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, which it felt pretty natural, but it still it wasn't the same. And ever since then, it just feels like that that Christmas Eve, which has been a, a hallmark of everyone's lives, you know, since mm-hmm. I've been around. Sure. Is is now down to like, is is Granny gonna show up this year? Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm wondering if in in and, and again, not just grief, but if we're experiencing something in these family tradition and holiday patterns that we have. And it's different now. And these things are making it to where we can't enjoy the same Christmas because it's not the same. That's right. Are we to create, are we to purposefully create new traditions, new ways of doing things so we can almost start over?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, the, the way I talk about it with my patients is like, what is the new normal going to be? Because there has to be one there has to be a new normal and our 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 comfort and willingness moving into that new normal plays a big role in us moving forward comfortably because if it's always like for example using the chair like if the chair stays there and nobody ever sits in it because that's granddad's chair it's like and and look maybe that's the way we remember him but then that's like a ghost chair now and Man. and and now it's only associated with the fact that no one can comfortably sit in it so now do we create a new normal by, you know, now it's dad's chair, or now it's a rotating chair, or now the chair gets moved into a different room, and now we rearrange, and now what is the new normal, right? But there yeah. has to be something new. And to your point, like, it, it could be someone inheriting that person's responsibility, it could be someone inheriting right. the responsibility of making Nana's Like a uh, pudding. of the torch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it also could be a new other thing. You know, maybe it's now we don't have Nana's pudding. Maybe it's like I made this weird French mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving <laughs> this year, and I, it's I like love
0: those French mashed
1: potatoes. And maybe it's like Ryan's mashed potatoes get brought every year, and it's like cool. I, I'll make mashed potatoes every year. You know, whatever it is, but but now it's it's not that we're, we've lost this other thing that we don't have anymore. It's what are we doing now? And it doesn't mean it, it's not doesn't have to. Um, it's not a, a an intention to forget that person or what they contributed, but actually a way of like honoring what they did contribute. It's like, yeah. oh man, this was so cool that we had this tradition every year. How do we want to now still have it, still have something like it, right? Yeah, um it's funny, you, you mentioned this. So this is something that I experienced with my family this this Thanksgiving was, I don't know if you guys do this, but we have like a huge secret Santa thing, right? in between the cousins generation so um obviously all of my and my cousins there's like 14 of us are all like t- between the ages of 20 something and i'm um, 35 so okay. um we all have uh i should say a lot of us now have significant others or um are getting married so it's like do we keep Just the 14 secret Santa people, obviously uh, over time, um, other people have joined, you know, significant others have joined, um, my daughter joined and it's like, okay, how do we, do we, because obviously as we talked about, like the tree's going to keep growing, right? So there's this question of how do we handle this? Like maybe not everyone wants to be a part of it or is it just going to die out? We don't know. So we try to figure out a way to redefine it. Now is it just gonna be, well, you know what? Everyone's in. Whoever wants to be in it, now you're a part of it. We don't care if you're a part of the original 14 or not. Whoever wants to be a part of it, like we're gonna make it work. Look at the Avengers. There you go. (laughs) Iron Man's out. They got, you know, someone else gotta lead the team. Well, right. And and I think that I think that is an important transition moment because as you said, if these things die out then it's like, oh, well, now, now Christmas Eve would probably feel kind of different. And maybe it would feel less because we're not doing our cousin's gift exchange. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And I think like you're missing I would something. Be, exactly. I would be sad about that. Yeah. So for me, it's Let's like, make I, it I, yeah, I'd new. rather make it. Exactly. So I think new and bigger is better. And that, that finding ways of making it your own thing, whatever you want that own thing to be, is a much better way to do it.
0: Yeah, and also like not forcing anyone that can no, join that ride. Of course, you know? of course. Yeah, let's let's make something new and bigger and better and, and create new traditions. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, let's get new glue. Sure. You know. Yeah. We got a horse named Scooter. We're going right. to make some,
1: uh, <laughs> this metaphor, man. Tie other branches together and, there you and go. <laughs> form new branches, put decorations on them. Yeah, for sure.
0: Horse glue. Okay, guys, we we have to end this one today. Um, We really hope that you guys enjoyed the This Is Us episode. I definitely had a good time talking about it, but we'd have to do our ratings. If you haven't listened to the show before, Ryan and I every week rate on a scale of one to five. Ryan rates for accuracy of portrayal of the issues we're talking about. And I rate on just the critic scale how much I liked it. Ryan, what are you looking at this week?
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> um, so out of five, uh, burnt pheasants, burnt but also raw on the inside, pheasants. Yes. Um, I, I mean, people are not gonna be surprised by this at this point. I went into this being skeptical that this was gonna be like a sappy, uh, kind of hokey take on mental health or family conflict, but Mike, it's really good, and I think they handled it really well. Um, I give it a five out of five.
0: There's some experience behind it, it feels yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. So five out of five for the portrayal yeah. of just the family issues and, and, and everything we talked about today, well, yeah, anxiety really,
1: and yeah, intergenerational family uh mental health coping. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So okay, so I gotta look at it. And now I, I'm also doing a bird thing. I'm gonna okay. do out of five killer birds because nice. of the bird that attacked Jack in the house that is yep. trying to kill him. Which was, uh, I, this show, that scene ties it up for me as far. Yeah. It gets a five out of five, uh, which I didn't expect because I remember I stopped watching it because I got angry with the show.
1: Mm. But
0: I got angry with the show because it's so good. Yeah. It's so good that they have this, and this is season four, mind you. So they're really rolling now. Yep. Like I've always felt like shows really hit their stride around the fourth season. But this show just has a way to tap into the feeling of family in a way that's nostalgic. Um, It can be sad. It can be hopeful. But it's always tear worthy. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, five out of five for me. Okay, guys, we got to get out of here for the day. Uh, Make sure you stick around and listen to Ryan's closing thoughts. But first, we have to thank Kevin McLeod. Uh, for all of the royalty-free music that we use on the show. If you need to find Kevin and his music, you can find him at filmmusic.io.
1: And now for some closing thoughts on the This Is Us episode, Storybook Love. Family and mental health issues often don't mix very well, whether it's because of generational or passed down mental health traits or because of environmental or child rearing practices. But there are real opportunities for growth and insight as well. We therapists often say when working with children that treating the family is just as important if long-term sustained recovery is the goal. So if your therapist offers family sessions or encourages some type of family resources, this is definitely an option worth considering. We talked a lot on the episode how people with mental health issues fear passing them on to their children, but avoiding those conversations because of this fear is not going to prevent the problems from happening by modeling healthy coping skills and talking honestly about your mental health struggles. Your children will be set up for success in a way that may actually give them an emotional vantage as they go through life. Finally, at the end of the episode, we see Randall deny that he needs therapy despite the ordeal he just witnessed with his daughter. If someone asks you about going to therapy or suggests it, this should be taken as a good sign that they want you to be happy and they want you to be supported and they might be noticing things that you aren't it can't hurt to get a checkup. So if you get a sign that someone is suggesting you go to therapy, I always say to take it. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at PopPsych101. We also love hearing from our listeners. So if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com, join our Facebook group, or visit our website, poppsych101.com. Pop Psych 101 is on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.